Testing. Testing. Hey guys, it's Will and Keith. I'm Keith. And I'm Will. And I'm Will. Oh God. <laughs> oh, you are amazing. This podcast is amazing. The, the microphone just just set itself on fire. I love this podcast already. <laughs> Will and Keith embrace the process. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So we just played our intro. Here we are. We played a little of the beginning of the last episode. It, it it was actually a good reminder for me to not say ahoy. Yeah, it would be good if you could not start us out on that note. I thought we could go like a maritime theme. <laughs> <laughs> I think it came across more hipster. I would I would prefer the maritime theme. I think if we could sell ourselves as old timey mariners, that's a much better look than um, than the kind of hipster jerk who says ahoy. Are you suggesting I sell myself into labor on a ship? I'm just saying it would help the podcast. Okay. You don't have to do that, but uh, if you really care about this project. The man uh, on the street segment is you remarking on what I might be doing. <laughs> we're not in touch at all, and I may have died. I'm just going to walk the waterfront, talk about <laughs> the conversations we could have had regarding Ready Player One. You could tie a yellow ribbon. Yeah, we're on an oak tree for some reason. Not sure why they did that. Cheers, man. Cheers. Here's the coffee. That's the highlight of the show. I actually got a note from a friend said the, the best part of the podcast so far was the sound of the pouring coffee. That's a great note. Yeah, I think that was an insult, but I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> uh, it definitely comes off that way. I took it as a compliment, but that's just because I'm desperate. Oh. So, hey, man. Hey. How you doing? Uh, better before you told me about what your friends said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Sorry. Didn't mean to psych you out. It's okay. I love, I love uh, criticism. Well, there's going to be more of it. If anyone listens. Uh, but a few people have actually been listening. We've been hearing from, I think I've heard from three or four, four people now who've heard the first episode. Second episode's not out yet, but we're recording the third episode because we're on it. It's very exciting. It is very exciting. The now trilogy. That's right. <laughs> and then we're done, right? You don't have to keep going. Well, we're going to do like the Hitchhiker's trilogy. Oh, right. It just goes on and on. Yeah. And on. The fifth book in the increasingly inaccurately named Hitchhiker's yeah. trilogy. Love that. They probably would have kept going if he had, had uh, been alive. Yeah, there was a case of what TV Tropes calls author existence failure. <laughs> that can be an issue uh, with your fictional content. We're going to talk a lot about TV Tropes at some point, but not necessarily. It sounds like a, a problem with a Charlie Kaufman movie. What? Oh, author existence failure. <laughs> sounds like the title of a Charlie Kaufman movie. Don't steal this, Charlie. No, I, this is for us. I know you're listening. <laughs> He's always taking our best ideas. How are you doing? I'm okay. That's all that I have to... Yeah, no, I'm okay. Uh, I had Thanksgiving with my family. Oh, right. I made a pumpkin pie, which actually turned out pretty well. Great. Uh, so that was nice, and I've been hard at work on a kind of a dumb project that's kind of fun and kind of mindless. Uh, I've been adding the closed captions to a movie that I made. Which, in theory, I should hire someone else to do, like someone who knows how to do it. Uh, but I guess I'm cheap. So I've been doing it myself, and it's very time-consuming and slightly interesting. And, uh, and also sort of, uh, sort of the kind of dumb, busy work that maybe I should not have forced myself to do. So I'm learning something. Uh, which is not a terrible thing, although it's, it's a lot of time spent to learn something I'll probably never use again. Well, you know, maybe, you could, maybe you'll be the guy who gets hired. Maybe so. This could be your new thing. Yeah, if I had a job that paid me money, uh, that could change everything. Yeah. 
You so. could be the like if people are like, "Do you have a subtitles guy?" They'll say, "Yeah, I do have a guy." <laughs> I do. He's really slow. He doesn't quite know how to do it. But uh, his name's Keith. He's, he's definitely a guy. <laughs> I have a guy. Uh, so that's I don't know. That's me. Hmm. Thanksgiving and busy work, and uh, and I, I'm feeling all right. I'm feeling okay. It's the first of December. Happy first of December. Oh. Again, by the time you're listening to this, it's not the 1st of December, but... I keep urging Keith to stop referencing the day. Sorry, I should never have said that. Is that that. when people say White Rabbit? I don't think it's White Rabbit. Rabbit, Rabbit? I don't know why you have to bring whiteness into it. I, it's, I mean, I can't, I have nothing to say to that. Yeah, good good call. I don't know the rules of that game. It's Rabbit, Rabbit. I think you're supposed to say it first thing, ideally, but maybe it counts to just say it at all, and it brings you good luck all month, apparently. Wow. Did I do it right? Rabbit, rabbit. On the first of the month. Yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah. So that I had not said it until just now. Hmm. So maybe I'm late. But it is still the first. Hmm. Here's here's looking forward to a good December. Here's looking forward. Let's are, cheers are you, again. Cheers again. Um, uh, and are you excited about Christmas? Um, not really. <laughs> I'm not much of a holiday person. Right. Actually, you're sort of a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to start rumors. That's, um, I thought, uh, I just have a bit of a Scrooge. I don't know why. I enjoy holidays, but I'm not very, I don't look forward to them or, or plan much for them. That might make them more enjoyable. By not? Yeah, the, the planning can be stressful and it can put on a lot of pressure. I mean, everything in life, basically, that includes building expectation is something I avoid. In almost every instance. I don't look forward to things. I don't sort of get excited or worked up. In general, I mean, in in preparation or working on things, I do. You know, if I'm working on something, you can't. That is, like, anticipatory. Right. Um, But in terms of uh, events or, or dates or what have you... Boy, we are opposites, man. I feel like <laughs> looking forward to things is sometimes all I have. Um, Especially now with the pandemic. Like, my life's okay right now. But I am looking forward <laughs> to the end of this crap. I guess I just, I don't know what it is. It's, it's probably a defense mechanism. But the, 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 the concept of, of, of looking forward. and I think, I think just throughout life I've known a lot of instances and a lot of uh, people who would like really construct this the future of what a particular thing was going to be not you <laughs> thank you um and it it, it just it, it's never that you know right. expectations are almost never i would say never 100 percent fulfilled and so there are types of people who really build this 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 future idea of what something will be and, and it's never that so it just then life it just become a constant disappointment. Yeah, I, I see that. Although, counterpoint, uh, my dad, as you know, was a world-class whitewater slalom athlete, Olympic medal and all that stuff, yes. just for our listeners who might not know. A man's man. He was. He was, well... <laughs> Men loved him and women wanted to be him. <laughs> Whatever that means. Uh, but he was. He was a world-class athlete and, uh, and he loved racing. He raced uh, for on and off for 20 years or something like that. Or, or longer, actually, if you count sort of his post-retirement career. Um, but he talked about if you 
if you train all year for the Olympics, and then on the day of the competition, you blow out completely and you come in last, what do you have? Well, you have 364 days of winning gold and only one day of losing. I thought that was pretty interesting. So, so in the training, he's doing his best and succeeding over and over and over again. Right. Every day you get out there and train at all, even the days that don't go all that well, every day you get out there and train, you're winning. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only day you lose is on the day of the event. Now, obviously, if you spent the next 50 years then kicking yourself, as some people would do, uh, then it's probably not worth it. But I think that actually almost is more aligned with what I'm saying because he is then referring to every every day in preparation is something that he's looking forward to and succeeding in the moment. Right, but it's both because if if the event didn't exist, whether it's the Olympics or anything else, if the event didn't exist, you probably wouldn't do that training and you certainly wouldn't feel the same way about yeah. it. You need to have the goal... Even though the goal in the final analysis is there to become irrelevant, Mm -hmm. to be forgotten about, if you didn't have it, you wouldn't have focus or meaning or purpose in the interim. Yeah. I mean, I think working on a project is the one thing that sort of you can't not have an expectation because you're you're actively doing this thing. Right. I'm more referring to to, um, just moments in time that have yet occurred. Right, so something like Christmas that comes of its own accord. Yeah, like that's just going to happen whether, you know, I go out and train in, in you know, 30 degree weather or not. Christmas is, is coming. And I guess the Olympics would be anyway. But that that is a great a great line. Yeah, it's something that really stuck with me. Um, he was a very wise and intelligent man, and I think a lot about stuff that he said. And most of his metaphors had to do with rivers and competition because that was what he thought about all the time. Um, but most of them are really good. Most of them work really well. I think the difference is just the fact that I, I was referring to people who would get to that point and then be devastated. Right. That the, the, the optimum, optimal outcome didn't occur. Well, yeah, and apparently the people who are most devastated are the gold medalists because they don't know what to look forward to next. So if you want to be happy, the thing to win is not the gold medal but the silver medal. Because you're aware, <laughs> you're aware that you that you uh, could have lost, right? Mm. But you're also aware that there's more left to achieve. It's also it's 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 a it's a more uh, narrow target too. Like if you're aiming for silver, you can't do the best you could do. It, it's like hitting the, <laughs> it's like you know hitting this very narrow target. If you do too good, you know you're out of control. You just did your best. Right. But if you aim for silver and get it, that's insane. (laughs) That's why people say, always do your second best. Yeah. No matter what the situation. Do your second best, and you'll never be disappointed. Put the other foot in the door, is what I like to say. Put the other foot in the... What does that mean? Um, I guess it's... I was just uh, off the cuff reinterpreting putting your best foot forward, or getting your foot in the door. Oh, put... Yeah, okay. Put your second best foot forward. There's definitely a... In the door. (laughs) Through the door. I feel like if you could not reinvent two cliches at the same time, it would be easier for me to follow. Just selfishly. Okay. You're on a level that I'm not uh, able to reach. I'll make a note of that. Okay, thanks. Uh, yeah, well, one more thing while we're on that topic, actually. Another another thing that my dad talked about uh, with regard to these, you know, these moments of uh, incredible, uh, incredibly high stakes competition, right? He said, well, you've got to care about the result. You've got to care about winning. Uh, until 
it happens until the moment when the race is decided. And then afterward, you have to mm-hmm. not care. Um, you, if you didn't care 100% about the, the outcome, you, you wouldn't do your best. You wouldn't train. You wouldn't work hard. But if you care after the event, then you're getting involved in, in neurosis and self-flagellation or self-aggrandizement, which is just as bad. Mm. Um, so there's a moment when you let go. There's a moment when you, you just, ideally, in a perfect world, there's a moment where you just stop caring. Yeah, if you're going to be competitive, you have to you have to pour yourself into it. Right. You can't... I mean, you could participate in things for fun, but, but if you don't push yourself, you would never reach that higher level of achievement. Yeah, and a lot of people argue it's not even fun unless you're trying your best. I mean, I know I've played games with people who just didn't take it seriously enough. You know, even something stupid like charades. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do your best, but if you're not trying at all, it's no fun to play with you. Mm. Like, you have to you have to care a little bit or else why are we doing this yeah i think anything like with music is one thing and games um both good examples of things that if 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 you're just if you're just not putting anything into it what what is the point right there's no point uh so do you want to talk about something stupid uh do you have something in mind i do okay i was gonna try to transition into the next thing on my stupid list great okay so the next thing on my stupid list is last week I mentioned that I had had the honor and the privilege of a video chat with John Cleese, which became two video chats with John Cleese because I complained about the way the first one was cut off. Uh, and you thought that story was highly amusing. You expressed an interest in seeing I did. Those, I do. those videos. Yes. You have now seen them, but I'm going to play them for you again. And I haven't watched them in a while. And this might be painful for me, but we're going to do it. Uh, and then maybe we'll talk about it. Cool. Could you turn it? Could you turn the? Uh... Oh, you want to see? Yeah. Fine. All right. Uh, here we go. Here is Keith meets. Sorry, I've entitled it John Cleese meets Keith for the first time. <laughs> Hello, Keith. Oh, yes, John. You're outside, Keith. Where are you sitting? No, I'm actually in, uh, good guess, I'm in Connecticut. You're in Connecticut. I wasn't yeah. far off. No, no, I'm in the country. But you got something about, you got something about Oklahoma on your jacket, right? Oh, that's true. Yeah, this is a yeah. whitewater course where my brother went. Yeah, yeah. He's a canoeist. Very good. So listen, my dear fellow, we have a limited amount of time. Do you want to tell me things or do you want to ask me things? Uh, I want to ask you things. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, actually, my, the first thing I wanted to ask you was, how has this experience been for you, talking to all these crazy people? It's really, really enjoyable. Good. You never know with things like this. But what I like, I mean, we're looking each other in the eye. I do have the nicest fans on earth because they're all a bit silly and they don't take themselves seriously. And none of them is lawyers. Oh, that is good. Lawyers. No, lawyers. No, no lawyers. No, I never get to talk to lawyers. Well, that's probably best. That means you're living your life correctly. I'm just chatting to somebody who's nice, and sometimes I say things that people find amusing or helpful or something. What else do you want to ask? Uh, well, I was I was honestly really curious about the afterlife thing you mentioned in your talk. Mm. Uh, I'm quite convinced that there was an afterlife. I've always assumed probably not. Uh, well, I think you see in the current scientific 
way of thinking. Uh, people say, how could that be? Um, but I think that that misses an enormous amount because I think when scientists find things that they can't explain, they tend to shove them under the carpet. You see what I mean? Rather than admit that they don't know. I'll give you a name. There's a guy called Bruce Grayson. That's G-R-E-Y-S-O-N. And if you get anything that Bruce is right, I was at a conference with him about nine months ago. And at the end of the conference... And that's it. <laughs> middle of a sentence. Right in the middle of a sentence. So you'll, you'll notice that's, that was not as painful as I feared it would be. He's very warm and charming. Yeah. And I'm certainly being pleasant. Uh, but you'll notice I made two major mistakes. Uh, the first one was I asked a, a really obvious question that he's almost certainly heard before. Which, How is this going for you? Right? Just I thought that was a very polite and kind of humane thing to do. But I didn't realize it would sort of trigger a kind of prepared response, which mm. is what happened. Uh, and then the second mistake that I made was I asked a brilliant comedian about something that has nothing to do with comedy. In my head, John Cleese is just a genius, right? So he'll be a genius on every subject. So you were, you were actually hoping he would enlighten you on what happens after you die. Yeah, I mean, I didn't expect him to change my mind. Mm. But I did think maybe he could open my mind a little bit on that subject. I feel like he was just about to <laughs> when he was cut off by the... By the, should I say that? Are we allowed to name the company? Uh, let's not. Yeah, let's not. He, he was cut off by the sound that goes with the logo of the company that we are not talking about. Uh, it, these people would be really mad at me if they found out I was saying anything unkind about them in public. Because that was what got them to notice me in the first place. They, they were, I, I wrote to them, they brushed me off, and then I started posting negative reviews <laughs> everywhere I could find and that was when they said, oh, wait, actually, we'd like to take you seriously. And then they made me take all the reviews down. Oh, that was part of the deal? Yeah. That you yeah. Had to they, the they paid me for my silence. <laughs> and now I'm talking about it again. <laughs> so I could really get in trouble. So we're not going to name this company. And luckily, uh, nobody listens to our podcast. Uh, we have a lot of things going for us in this situation, and that's one of them. I, yeah, that's probably our biggest single advantage. I, I should ask you if... With with you, if you saw that as a as a um, uh, really bad first draft of a conversation, what was your experience watching? Um, it's definitely not a conversation I would ha try to have in one minute and fifteen seconds. <laughs> so, uh, what like what's your core uh, spiritual belief, John? I mean, at least it's a slightly unexpected question. Although it is something he brought up, I guess, in his in his talk. I mean, I, 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 I don't want to spoil it because we're going to play the next video, but uh, the the way you told it to me last time was um, in the first one you had a terrible question, and in the second one you had a really great question, and I watched, and uh, it really gave me insight into what you think is a terrible question and what's a great question. Well, I think I was judging them on the response they elicited. Well, let's get into the next one. And All right. And let's, let's... Next video. Okay. Here is John Cleese meets Keith for the last time. John Cleese actually requested this one. <laughs> Shout out to John. 
John. Hello. Hello. Okay, oh, how are you? Yeah, you said you're John. Uh, oh no, you're Matt. Are you? You're John. I'm John. I'm talking to John Sonnenberger next, but I'm talking to you now, Matt. Right? I'm Pete, but I, I'll be Matt if you want. Yeah, well, you're Pete? Oh, you're Peter Gordon. No, Keith, Keith Boynton. Oh. Well, I may be in the wrong session. I have no idea. Oh, no, you're at the top of the list. I, I Above all the other stuff, I was looking lower down. I'm, I'm wasting a lot of your time. What can I, tell, what can I talk to, about, or what do you want to tell me? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, let's see. I, I, uh, I thought a lot about this, and I did have one question that I wanted to ask you, and I don't know whether you've been asked this question before. Right. But, uh, what, I've always wanted to know, what, what does Michael Palin smell like? Uh, it's an odd combination. Vaguely sort of rotting herring is oh the God. main... Yeah, but there's a sweet sound. You, you know there's an awful deodorant that they use in men's toilets mm. uh, it's a high-pitched fruity kind of smell which is actually worse than the smell of ecrement yeah they're trying to get rid of the excrement uh, <laughs> smell but they replace it with something worse so there's a little hint of that in with the rotting herring wow that's horrible yeah, yes, it is horrible, and that's why I never sit next to him. If you look in the sketches, I'm always some distance apart from him. I never did notice that. Well, you, you have a distance vertically, so that helps as well. That, that, that helps too, but otherwise my timing goes completely, you know, because I can... Yeah, have, no, I can understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the most interesting questions I ever had. That was, that was my goal, right? Something maybe you hadn't heard before. But the funniest uh, question I ever had was from a Swede, uh, no, a Norwegian in Oslo. We were on to Q&A, and he said, Mr. Keys, if you had to choose to be a component part of an aircraft, <laughs> what component part of an aircraft would you choose to be? <laughs> Isn't it the craziest question you ever heard? I had an I was laughing so much I had time to think. So, of course, in the end, I said the joystick, of course. Oh, that's a cool. Big, a big joke. But I just never forgot that question. It's the stupidest I've ever been asked next to yours. <laughs> I'm taking that as a compliment. It is. carry that with me. Good, good. What else? We've got a few more minutes. Second. Oh, my gosh. I, well, I ha actually, I have a confession to make. I have something on my conscience, which is that uh, when I was in high school, for Halloween, I dressed up as the Ministry of, of Silly Walks. Yeah. And I understand that's not your favorite Monty Python sketch. No, it isn't. And uh, it was a, an okay sketch saved by the sheer brilliance of my performance. I it agree. Was, yeah, it was it a brilliant it was, sketch. It was written uh, by Terry Jones, and I actually rewrote some of the dialogue because Terry had a very wonderful idea for original sketches, but he wasn't very good at dialogue. He five seconds, apparently. It's been such yeah. a joy. You're wonderful. <laughs> so that's much better. You showed him that time. He, he was about to just go off and be cut off again. and you. Well, it was important to me, and maybe this says something about me, it was important to me to end the conversation, to say goodbye, thank you, you're wonderful. I blew him a kiss, he blew me a kiss. None of that would have happened if I had just let the time. Mm run out so so two things i want to point out about this one 
I very intelligently made no effort to remind him that we'd already had a conversation. I was wondering if that was going to come up, and I, I do think you made the right choice. Definitely the right choice. It was, of course, possible that he would recognize me, right, and that he would bring it up. But if he didn't recognize me, there was no way I was going to try to remind him that we'd spoken a couple months. He did recognize you. John. John, right? <laughs> it's John. John, good to see you. It's actually amazing how much does take place in that conversation. It's three minutes and 37 seconds. There's a lot of stuff that goes on. It's like the opposite of this podcast. It is. Where we go very on much for hours and, and nothing, nothing happens. happens. Um, but the other thing I want to point out is, so the thing I was saying earlier about how easily someone like John Cleese slips into a kind of prepared segment. I mean, he's a celebrity. Mm -hmm. He's been a celebrity for most of his life. He's told the same stories over and over on talk shows, and he's got bits that he likes. Mm -hmm. So in this 3 minute and 37 second conversation, uh, most of it seems to be original material, but the anecdote about getting the question from the Norwegian is not only an anecdote that he's told before. It's one that I've heard before. <laughs> So what you see in the video is me pretending like I'm hearing that story for the first time. <laughs> Which again, it's not the wrong thing to do, but it does it tells you a lot about the pitfalls of this kind of conversation. He's talking to, I don't know, 100 fans in a day. Mm. And he's trying to be nice and pleasant and present for all of them. But there is something formulaic about what he's doing. He doesn't care about me specifically. And so he's a little bit on autopilot. And that's one of the virtues of the Michael Palin question. It's not a great question. But it does shake him up at least a little bit. I was actually surprised that he, he his reaction, what he um, he laughed a lot at the end of his answer, but at the beginning he just like was smooth right into it. He right, just sort of, not, not a bit like uh, excrement, right? And there's not even any facial reaction. A rotting herring, I guess, was how he started. Right, rotting herring is yeah. how it starts. Yeah, he just bit like very. I mean, that's that's you know. That's a that's the art form there. Yeah, I mean, he took it as a bit. Yeah, he's like, oh, okay, we're doing improv. Mm -hmm. So then he did some yeah. improv, and then to signal that the improv was done, he laughed. He laughed, not so yeah. much because he was amused, but because that showed me we were done with that. Yeah. Bit. Another another contrast with Saturday Night Live. <laughs> right. He he will only laugh when the bit is done. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Instead of Jimmy Fallon laughing throughout. All all love to to Jimmy Fallon. Actually, I don't love him, but that's fine. Um, anyway, any, I don't know, any thoughts, any reflections? That was me talking to John Cleese. Uh, it was it was entertaining. Could you actually track back a few frames? I just want to look at the uh, the border. You don't have to play it. Oh, it's in the first. So the first video has has um, this illustrative like Monty Python themed border on the outside. I was noticing the second one does not. Oh, you're right. So there's there's the killer bunny in the top left and the silly walks. That um, is interesting. I wonder why that changed. Um, this is the one that you have to pay for because the second one was 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 uh, paid for by the by the company. They didn't they didn't give you the the, the good. Uh, yeah, although they're both part of a session. It's not like he had to schedule a special time yeah. to talk to just me. He's doing another hundred fans on another occasion. Yeah. And I get slotted in. And the reason why he has trouble finding my name is presumably because I'm not part of the main session, right? I'm the guy who got shoved in because uh, he made a stink. Mm. I assume that's why. Um, actually, now we have the names of some other people who did this. So we could we could search them out. Some other celebrities? No, he, he, had, he, he listed the names of the next people he was talking to. Oh, you're right. So we could look them up. 
and ask how it was for them. There you go. We can maybe invite them to be guests on our podcast. I only just noticed he's wearing the same shirt. This is several months apart, two or three months apart. He is wearing the same shirt. Well, the money's not coming in like it used to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that's just his best shirt, but I have, mm. I have no idea. That's pretty funny. He's got a nice bank cat with a with a tiny dog on a pillow. I you know. It seems like he's doing okay. I'm just I'm just trying to get a feel for you know. I think he lives in some tropical place now. Oh. I think I can't remember. I think he moved to Bermuda or the Bahamas or somewhere recently. Somewhere, pretty mama. Exactly. Ooh, he wants to take you. <laughs> uh, he'll get there slow, and then, <laughs> then he'll be there slow. Because he's old. He is. That's he's the, a, he's a joke. joke. I love John Cleese. He's great. He makes a lot of jokes about being old and dying, so I think we're allowed to do I, I, I am curious about how many of these he does back-to-back. Yeah. Also curious if, you know, so so you imagine, like you were saying about the... the, the the redundant questions and questions that he gets a lot. Yeah. Are is a is a would a redundant question be, you know, what's the craziest thing someone's asked you on this? And what are the chances that he'll be like, well, this one weirdo from Connecticut asked me how Michael Palin smells. <laughs> I'd like to think uh yeah, I mean, obviously he's being nice when he says uh whatever he said it was a hilarious question, he said it was a stupid question. I think he meant the same thing both times. Uh, he's probably not going to keep telling that story the way he keeps telling the Norwegian story. But uh, it was still fun. It was fun to feel like I slightly amused one of my comedy heroes. It's a really great anecdote. So Thank you. I really enjoyed you telling it to me last time. The so. anecdote may have been more entertaining than the videos, but you had to see the videos. Yeah. And I mean, now you have. I mean, yeah, you were remarking that maybe we should have shown the videos, um, but it, they're different. The anecdote, it's a really funny anecdote. Thank you. And then to have the full picture, now I have the closure, and we can move on and never speak of it again. Thank God. Let's just move on with our lives, Will. Right, so uh, I gave you a homework assignment last week, which was to catch up on my favorite YouTube obsession, the British panel show, Would I Lie to You? So, Will, your thoughts? Oh, I was supposed to catch up. Well, not catch up. I mean, there's like completely. 13 <laughs> of the show. Right, you were supposed to catch up on I, the last 13 years. I watched a... Um, I, I, did watch a, I did watch a few, and I looked up um, some of the clips with Bob Mortimer. Nice. That you had specifically asked. Yes. Did you see the one with the apple? I'm not sure. Did you see the one where Bob oh, Mortimer... Oh, I saw the, where I saw a reference. I did not see the one about tearing an apple apart with his bare right. hands. Right, so his claim is <laughs> that he can tear an apple apart with his bare hands, uh, and then they make him... And then they make him do it. Uh, you have to watch that one. I do. In, in the in a, the one that I did watch, um, hold a hilarious bit about um, um, taking a bath with an egg in it. Oh yeah, that Wait, he cracks an egg into the bath. Yeah, um, but it's not. It turns out to be a lie. Right. But he does the the the, the elaborate lie, and, and David Mitchell is just like spiraling because like. Uh, and then referencing some of the uh, other ridiculous things that he said that turned out to be true. Right. 
So he feels like he has to guess that it's true, even though it's the most ridiculous thing he's ever heard. And then it's false, and he's just like, his mind is just completely blown. Yeah, those are some of the best moments. The moments when David Mitchell comments on the show and on the game of the show. Because he's been doing it uh, for 13 years. That's insane. But he actually does take the game of it somewhat seriously. He knows it's about being funny, but he wants to win. And so there are these moments when you see David Mitchell genuinely trying to to play the game and outsmart people. And Bob Mortimer is is probably the hardest person to read because he's just had a crazy life and most of these insane stories turn out to be true. Yeah, it was it was really funny and uh and you do sort of get that bit from from Mitchell about like he's sort of a nerd and like no knows the answers to things and wants to know and wants to debunk you and then right. so so when you have that logical mind go head to head with complete ridiculousness it's just it's it's uh it was really funny the show is really funny um it was it was a bit more like the set was a bit more uh flashy, loud, flashy yeah. yeah than i was expecting but but the show, the, the 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 show was sort of what you sold it as a pretty straightforward um you know just people saying saying silly things it's short it's is it really short it felt short is it just i guess it's like 25 minutes or whatever. yeah i think a full episode is okay is 25 or half an hour or something like that mm. i guess i've been watching too much hbo yeah like that. that show was only two hours long <laughs> what a, <laughs> a ripoff uh yeah i like the uh I guess I'm fascinated by David Mitchell as a comic persona because most of what he says is just true. Like, one of the contrasts between him and Lee Mack is Lee Mack likes to make stuff up. Mm-hmm. He likes to say, take a comic conceit and kind of spin it out into oblivion. Mm-hmm. Whereas David Mitchell, most of the time, the joke is that he's saying something accurate. Maybe a little <laughs> pedantic, but accurate. His, my favorite... Uh, so there's sort of a... Uh, collection of his outbursts on YouTube because people who are fans of the show are fans of his outbursts. And my favorite outburst ever, he's taking maybe a little too long to tell a story. And somebody on the other team goes... Who is? Mitchell. Mitchell, David Mitchell, right? Someone on the other team goes, oh my god, get to the point. And Mitchell goes, get to the point is not an exhortation one can reasonably make in the middle of a parlor game. There is no point. This is a pointless exercise. We are marking time on the way to the grave. (laughs) Which is funny. And obviously intended to be funny. But it's also just completely true. Those are facts. Yeah. And I've never seen anyone make facts so entertaining. Well, yeah, he seems to be very intelligent and witty and and dry and sort of uh, sarcastic and cynical, which, which are really, you know... Pillars of, of British comedy that uh, I think you and I both appreciate. But it's a very cheerful cynicism. It's not a dark cynicism. Hmm. It's not something that he wallows in. He has that uh, he has that form of nihilism that actually ends up being pretty positive and pretty hmm. affirmational. That's, that's sort of how I feel about myself. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good comparison. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Obviously the universe is fundamentally absurd and everything just ends in death and there's no inherent meaning but that's the reason why you shouldn't have a good time
this past week, I uh, read the book Ready Player One, um, and then I invited Keith over to watch the Steven Spielberg film last night, uh, and we did. We did. I ate a burger. And I had meatloaf. And it was a lovely time hanging out. Our bandmate, uh, Theo, who's my brother-in-law, was there as well. And despite that, it was a lovely time. And uh, the movie, the movie was maybe not as bad as I feared it would be. You, you had a lot of fear. I did. I was apprehensive. When you walked in the door, you said, do we really have to watch this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I did because I'm acutely aware that in this day and age, uh, you know, a hundred years of cinema are at our fingertips. We could watch absolutely anything that has ever been made. Especially um, it's the first time anyone has come over to my house in so long. Yeah. So it was, you did sort of trigger a thing. I'm like, are we really? But I stuck to my guns. Yes. And we watched it. We did watch it. It was not the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, I have a... <laughs> I, <laughs> it, what, what it seemed like more than anything was a waste of a really cool premise and an interesting world and story elements that could have been really compelling. Um, what it seemed like more than anything was just half-assed. That if they had delved into the story, the characters, the themes, or really anything about it, hmm. uh, even the visuals, if they had delved into any, if they had taken any of it really seriously, I think it could have been a really great movie. And I think it's a huge missed opportunity. It's thematically not that different from The Matrix, which is a great movie. Not perfect, hmm. but a great movie. Um, and this... It just felt like the discount teenage version of The Matrix, where it's not it's not adult enough for adults, but it's also not childish enough for kids. It's yeah. I mean, I was remarking on they in they inserted these horror sequences, right? Which immediately makes it too scary for young kids to watch, but you feel like you're watching, like you just said, a kids movie. I think the target audience for this movie, if I had to define it, would be a 13-year-old with the mentality of a 6-year-old. <laughs> that person would really love... Actual 13... The average 13-year-old is much too smart for this movie. And the average 6-year-old is too young. But someone who's somehow both could probably get a lot out of it. It was stupid, I think is the word. Yeah. But, but I mean, it seems... That, so they did a bit in the movie, if you haven't seen it, where... Um, they repurpose scenes from The Shining, mm. and it that just seems like such an odd. I mean, we have, we um, it seems like such an odd choice for a movie that seems so sort of juvenile to put in scenes from like one of the scariest movies, you know, of our time. Yeah, I mean, I think if I had to guess, what they were aiming for was probably teenagers. Yeah. So I think the thought was, yeah, kids 13 to 17 will love this movie and it's not too scary for them. Uh, I, I think it's much too stupid for them, but maybe I'm giving teenagers too much credit. There's, there's two, two immersive movie experiences mm. in the book where, where the main character, Wade, actually goes inside a movie. Right. The first is War Games with Matthew, Matthew Broderick. Right. And the second is Monty Python, The Holy Grail. Oh. And so these two movies in the book, 
the the task is to act them out from the entire movie. Huh. So in the book, he goes into war games and he has to play Matthew Broderick. Right. In a in an immersive virtual version of the movie from start to finish. Huh. And you have to and there's a score about if you if you get the lines right. Or if you act them well, or if you get the line wrong, you deduct points. And then likewise with Monty Python. Um, um, I can see how that wouldn't be a great thing to show in a movie. <laughs> yes. Someone acting out an entire movie. <laughs> I can see how maybe that's not the most cinematic thing. Yes. Um, although it's odd the way they do The Shining because they start out by using a bunch of really specific visual references to The Shining. You know, recreating specific scenes, mm-hmm. but then by the time they get to the part that's relevant to the story, they're making a big point of including things that aren't in The Shining, right? Like there's all these zombies, yeah. <laughs> and then someone has the line like "There are no zombies in The Shining," so it's like they draw attention to how much they're paying homage to this specific movie, and then they draw attention to how much they're distorting that movie in doing it. Yeah, I couldn't really. I mean, I I had I had there were. Almost everything. There were so many differences in the book between the movie. I had um, started going on the assumption that they had taken the fictitious game designers' favorite things out and put in Spielberg's, and that's just that's a total that's a total guess. But like you said, um, you know, The Shining and Kubrick. Yeah, that that's a that's a sort of a touch point for Spielberg. But yeah, the zombies. I mean, there's the woman in the bathroom mm-hmm. who turns into a sort of zombie, and maybe it's just an extrapolation of that. Um, right. But it, 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 I don't know why. Maybe they just wanted to do two zero-gravity dance party scenes <laughs> for whatever reason. So one thing that I think is interesting about this movie is most of it takes place in this augmented reality, and most of the movie is computer generated unlike the matrix where both in the real world and in the uh matrix people look people are photorealistic like well not just photorealistic they're actual people like like however much they're doing with visual effects keanu reeves is walking around and acting he's not in a motion capture suit uh but in this movie the virtual world looks like a very elaborate uh you know highly detailed video game and there's a sort of meta level to this because Big Hollywood blockbusters these days often, especially at the climactic sequence, will be 90% CGI. Uh, And they will look sort of like video games. Uh, Even good movies, like the Avengers movies, there are scenes where you're like, okay, but nothing's really happening. I can see Chris Hemsworth's face is real and everything else is just animated. And so it's a little bit hard to engage with. It reminded me of what you said uh, last week about old horror movies oh yep and how old horror movies are more frightening because the effects are somehow weirdly believable and the the thing that i didn't say last week that i want to say now is and this is not a point that's original to me um but the reason the effects are more believable in old movies is because they're real yeah like even if the effect is something as dumb as a stagehand with a stick waving a, a bat around um sorry it wasn't yeah it was a bat i saw an old horror movie recently and it looked incredibly stupid because it was just a guy waving a puppet around. But even that, it's not a real bat, but it is a real puppet. Yeah. So there's a certain inescapable reality. Whereas with the CGI stuff, it's it just looks like uh, pixels. It looks like a lot of pixels. 
but it still looks like this. So anyways, this movie was interesting to me because there's a reason why it looks like a bunch of computer-generated nonsense. Because in the story, it's supposed to be a bunch of computer-generated nonsense. And yet, I'm not sure that fully justifies making a movie where everything looks fake most of the time. Hmm. And it's just so much, too. It's just... It's it's so much all the time. Can I get really geeky for a second? Yes. So... The, the real film geeky, geeky thing that I sort of want to say is um, one of the problems with directing in a completely computer-generated world is that you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. The camera can move any way you want. It can go anywhere you want. It can move at any speed you want. This is very, very bad for most filmmakers <laughs> because it means that all the discipline of the storytelling has to come from you. If you're shooting a movie with a real camera, the limitations are all built in. Like, where can we fit the camera? How big is the room? Where can we put it? Uh, Even on a set, these limitations come in. On a location, even more so. But there are physical limitations that make you think about where the camera needs to be and then where it needs to be next. And you you have to make tightly disciplined choices. If the whole world was computer-generated, the temptation is just to have the camera constantly moving in a pretty meaningless way. Uh, and a bunch of CGI stuff happening <laughs> from no particular angle for no particular reason. Uh-huh. Uh, Spielberg used to be, and probably still could be, a really great visual stylist. A movie like Jaws, the visual language is extremely sophisticated and complex and precise. Every shot is planned out and thought through and has a meaning and a purpose. This movie is the opposite. The camera is just constantly floating around, moving around for no reason, and stuff is happening that isn't really happening, and you don't know who it's happening to. It's a, it's kind of a visual mess. It's stimulating, but it's stimulating the way Sonic the Hedgehog, the video game, is stimulating. Not the way Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie, is stimulating. It's a pretty good movie. <laughs> yeah, the only, the only scene in the movie that stands out as having any real sort of blocking for actors is when they're in the... Uh, the repurposed postal van mm-hmm. and um wait our main character is 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 uh maybe it's when he's doing this his big speech before the battle uh-huh. i think it is then and so he walks away and then um daito one of the samurai uh, avatars in real life sits down in front of the camera and starts to presumably meditate i remember exactly the shot you're talking about it stood out to me and because I did not understand it. That's what I'm. It, I, I I was I noticed it stood out because you, like you were saying the whole time you have this CGI flying camera, right? And then all of a sudden in in a movie like that you have this really restricted scene mm-hmm. where all of it like it's really focusing on the fact like Wade's walking back with the other guys and Daito gets down in sort of meditative position and closes his eyes and like he's front and center, and I also was like, wow, this looks really intentional, and I have no idea why. I didn't get that he was meditating. For uh, me, that shot made it seem like Daito was untrustworthy, because you've got the hero doing something important, and instead of him engaging with it or being part of it, mm. he's front and center, right in front of the lens, sort of looking in another direction. So to me, it was like, are they trying to suggest that Daito is a traitor somehow? Which they weren't. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. It was it was in retrospect that I realized that he was meditating. I didn't know it right away. My so my initial reaction was, 
this shot is really intentional. Yeah. Why? Right. And then even after I realized why, it still seemed like such an odd place to use, you know, strong sort of character blocking like that in contrast to the rest of the entire movie. Yeah. Well, and uh, yeah, the fact that a moment that feels intentional would stand out because it feels intentional. It was so different. That's very telling. Well, and I think that brings us to another issue visually with this movie, which it shares with The Matrix. And this is, there's not much visual distinction between the the real world and the fantasy world. Despite the fact that one of them is CGI (laughs) and one of them is mostly live action, they don't seem all that different. They're both fantastical. Uh, they're both very Hollywooded up. They both have a very active moving camera. Uh, there was not a strong sense that the rules of the real world were different from the world, rules of the fantasy world. And, and it gets it gets to an absurd degree near the climax of the movie where, okay, the heroes are... We talked about this, right? The heroes are the, these incredibly effective combatants in the simulation because they're geeks and they're playing a video oh, game. Right. <laughs> And then there are action sequences in real life where this ragtag group of teenage geeks has to go up against highly trained assassins. And it turns out, oh, they're also ninjas in real life with no explanation. Yeah. They just are because they're the main characters. And I guess that to me feels like a moment when the filmmakers knew that they could make a smarter choice, a more believable choice, a more grounded choice. And they said, oh, whatever, it's for teenagers. Mm. Which is not... A responsible attitude. I read something on the internet where someone was commenting, oh, it was so great. They updated the cultural references to a broader point. You know, they didn't narrow it down to 80s so that it would reach a higher fan base. And also that they made it, and what was also great, was that they made it so none of these references mattered at all. (laughs) I was like, wait, what? If you're going to ruin the references and then make them not even matter then what's the point altogether you could have just used stuff out of copyright you could have just made stuff up there's one reference in the movie that actually means something a reference that I didn't get but that is explained the video game adventure Mm -hmm. right becomes a key plot point at the climax spoilers for this bad movie that we don't recommend Uh, the video game adventure (laughs) becomes a key plot point at the climax and it is explained that it's, it contains the first Easter egg in a video game because the developer was proud of the game and wanted to put his own name in it. Mm. And so if you navigate to a certain room, they, they explain this at great length. Um, but that was a moment where we understand why this reference is being made. It means something. It's about a creator taking pride in his work and signing his work. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, is an example of using a reference well. Yeah. And Everything that, else. That's from the book. Aha. Uh-huh. So, Not surprising. So, so yeah, that, where, the, where the references from the book are left in, they make total sense. Mm. And it's almost nowhere. Yeah. Um, which, I am not, like, a, a purist when it comes to, you know, bringing a book into movie form. I did really enjoy reading the book. Mm. Um, there are shortcomings... In, in the sort of pop culture references there where where you're like, okay, this kid is really invested into the search, so he's studying the 80s. But there's a point where, you're, where, where it's as if nothing happened since the 80s. We're almost in 2050. Right. And the kid 
almost never references anything that happened after the 80s. Huh. And it's a little unrealistic that even someone who's totally obsessed with this search would just pretend, you know, that 50 plus years, nothing happened. One thing that comes up, again, just sort of reading about the movie and how people responded to it, uh, people did, some people who were critical of the movie felt like it was glorifying a version of fandom or a version of nerd culture that's fundamentally uh, kind of an arrested development mentality. They're saying, oh, all these things are for immature kids and it's like, it's suggesting that we should live in this perpetual adolescence. And, uh, I guess to me that seems like a really shallow critique of, of nerd culture, but what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's um, the movie definitely didn't delve into any of the sort of side story about you know how like the main character shut you know in the book he shuts himself into his room mm. for like the better part of a year wow. without going outside he spray paints over his windows huh. and doesn't leave the room and 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 um you know maybe maybe the while the book still you know he still ends up winning and getting the girl so maybe you know it's um but the but it still at least mentions you know the darker side of this of this stuff where um the movie doesn't seem to touch on it at all where it's just like everything's fine yeah <laughs> yeah well and, and certainly i'm a big proponent of the real world and getting out into the real world and I, I think obsession can be really unhealthy but i don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with uh continuing to celebrate and find joy in the things of your childhood um and maybe i'm biased because i still love superhero comics and i'm still a little bit caught up in the world of the x-men uh so maybe i'm just justifying myself but uh so wait are you saying them so i guess i miss i guess i missed what your point was sorry my point is that some critics yes in reviewing the movie have have essentially taken the opportunity to criticize basically the whole culture of fandom oh to okay. say it, it is wrong for adults to be star wars fans and you hear that argument sometimes, like especially when, well, especially when toxic nerds on the internet bash the new Star Wars films for not being the things of their childhood. Uh, there's an element of people who will come in and say, you as an adult shouldn't care about these movies. These movies are not for you. Uh, and I, I guess I'm against both sides in that argument. I, I do think some of the hate that the new Star Wars movies have gotten is a little absurd and exaggerated. Uh, but again, I don't think a movie for young people has to be stupid. So I think it's completely valid to, one, to say, hey, look, the new Star Wars movie had an opportunity to be less stupid than the old ones. The old ones are good, right? But sort of primitive. Uh, and they are kind of childish in some way. There's no reason why in the, in the 21st century you can't make a series of fun escapist uh, space opera movies that are enjoyable for kids and also mature and sophisticated and interesting. That that's not an unhittable target, um, and I don't know that it's wrong to want to see that. No, I I I, I wish that that sounds like the perfect world to me. Okay, so. Yesterday, on my Facebook, there was a link to an interview with Weird Al Yankovic. 
And it was a Rolling Stone interview, just a Q and A thing, very very short. It's just I don't know, twelve questions about how your twenty twenty is going. And he was asked what he's been binging during the pandemic, and he said he had been binging Auntie Donna's Big Ol' House of Fun. And I'm going to quote him here. I'm going to quote him because what he said is great. He said, by far the best surrealistic Australian sketch comedy series currently available on Netflix. So I think that's what we call damning with faint praise. I did take five minutes to watch the very, very opening of, uh, of their first episode on Netflix. And it was two things that jumped out at me right away. One, it was genuinely funny. And two, it struck me as the kind of comedy that you would love. Wow. In fact, it might be the only thing I've ever seen that was funny <laughs> to me and that also seemed like your type of comedy. Wow, I'm, I'm interested. I thought of you right away. So our assignment for both of us, because I've only watched five minutes, for both of us is to watch at least the pilot for Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun. Great. And that's, that's what I have. That's the, uh, Now I don't have to think of anything. Oh, great. Uh, question, though. Are we going to do uh, story time and or song time next week? Because we talked about it last week and we did not make it happen this time. Yeah, let's do it next week. Okay. We definitely can't do it today. So our assignments are one, to check out that thing I just said with the long title. And two, uh, to come in ready to present a story in my case and a song in yours. Yeah, let's do that. Fantastic. Is there anything else you would like to say to me, to yourself, to our audience before we sign off? You know, I think it, there just comes a time in a man's life 